Hello, Scoopsters. Hello, fools and ghouls. We finally nailed the intro. It only took two episodes. We are here with Mark Heron. Mark, thank you so much for coming on with us. I mean, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And we are here. We're going to talk about Scooby-Doo the movie, our first non-animated movie we're talking about, which is from 2002, which I think has been talked about the most on the first two episodes we've done. I think it's come up the most amount of times. So there's definitely a lot to talk about this movie. But first, before we get into it, can you tell us a little bit about what interested you about being on? And did you watch Scooby-Doo when you were a kid? Why did you, uh, you know, say, hey, I want to be on this? Yeah, I mean, Scooby-Doo is obviously like a cultural icon. And I've like always loved Scooby-Doo since I was a kid. Um, I definitely have like really good memories associated with the two live action Scooby-Doo's um, and opinions. So I think those opinions need to be heard, especially because of the, I think, I think it was this year, was it supposed to be rated R and stuff like that? So, you know, that's definitely juicy and I definitely want to talk about that. You cut out there for a sec, but we got it. It it came through. Uh, yeah. <laughs> James Gunn did, you know, James Gunn, who's now Mar- of Marvel and DC fame, wrote it, and it was apparently supposed to be rated R. And Kaylee, wa- you watched this movie uh, very recently. So I think we can just jump right in, you know, as the cliche is, jump right into the movie, because there's a lot to go through with this. First thoughts after watching the whole thing through in 2020 a movie that came out in 2002 with weird CGI, with adult humor that maybe you didn't get get as a kid. Kaylee, what were your first thoughts on the watch all the way through? Um, My first thoughts were, so I haven't seen this one in a long time because I I used to watch the second live action movie like every single day when I was a kid. So I've seen that one so many times. But the first one, I feel like this was probably only like my third time ever seeing it. And it was a lot funnier than I remember it being. I don't know why I didn't watch this one more. I was laughing out loud now as a 22-year-old adult, so I enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun re-watching it. Mark, what'd you think on your watch through? Um, I mean, yeah, I've seen the movie probably, like, a, I can't count the amount of times, but definitely a lot, but not in a while, so it was definitely really weird to, like, re-watch it and pick up on so many things that I had never picked up on before, like, obviously, like, the adult humor and especially, like, the weed like jokes there was like a lot and I had never picked up on that but then on this watch I was like oh hey and um there was uh there was this one scene that I like really started picking up on things um where they're in the tv set and there's this like there's all these white papers around like labeling everything and on this watch through which is probably within within the tens maybe the 20s of the time that I've watched this, I finally picked up on, oh, that's, that's like a little translation uh, technique to help the monsters learn English, and w- which is really cool. It was a really cool production design uh, aspect. Oh my god, I'm, I know what you're talking about, and I'm just realizing that now too. Whoa. It was insane. Like, watching it, I was like, oh, it was crazy. The I, couldn't stop, I couldn't stop looking at it. Yeah, I mean, the production design, to hop right into that, on a movie, a real big-budget Hollywood movie, went to theaters, production design is crazy on this movie. Like, the amount of logistical hoops they must have had to jump through with huge crowds. Obviously, they're on Spooky Island. They're on, you know, tons of supposed-to-be millennials, uh, you know, who are, like, easy to get on to party and all this like just huge crowd shots with choreographed dancing and scenes and action scenes of people falling through windows and uh, all of that, plus a CGI dog in there. Uh, what, what were your guys' first uh, maybe perceptions? You know, when you watch a movie as a kid, you're less thinking about that and you're more just, oh my, you know, the story. But seeing it now and especially going, uh, all of us going for film and television uh, at college, did you see it in a different light when it came to that? Um, like in terms of the animation and stuff? The CGI, the everything about it. Yeah. Well, so I remember the first time I saw this movie, because I remember watching it with my parents when it first came out. And I remember that we had to pause during the opening scene because I was so scared of the floating 
white ghost thing in the first thing that my parents were like, Kaylee, it's okay. We can finish this movie. It's Scooby-Doo. You love Scooby-Doo. <laughs> it won't be scary. And like, I remember as a child being so scared and now rewatching it, that's obviously ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but the animation was, I'm a big fan of the animation in this movie, the CGI stuff, the monsters and everything, because I think Ben, you texted this to me the other day that like, it's on that perfect line of like, you know, it's fake, but it looks real enough that it's like enjoyable to watch. But like, you know, you're watching a Scooby-Doo movie, so you can obviously tell that it's fake. Yeah, I think it's the the uncanny valley theory, right? Where you want to hit the sweet spot of if something looks too real to us, we will reject it immediately and be like, gross, nope, looks too real, looks too human. I think that's the theory, but it's on that line where it, you know, you know that's not a dog. It's clearly a CGI dog, but they play it naturally enough that it's not distracting to the movie, but it adds to what's going on in the scene without posing which I guess was many challenges in the way it was cut. Mark, did you see Um, a similar thing when it came to this? Yeah, I mean, especially like in terms of the CGI, I was going to say, you know, I think watching it now, obviously it's not as like scary or as like, uh, like it it doesn't affect you as much, I guess, uh, as you watch it. But I think almost because maybe I have learned to like, you know, think about how movies are made while I'm watching them, I definitely can see how, you know, the CGI for what it was, was good. You know, like, I, I, I at least in my opinion, you know, I, I think of certain CGI even now that, that doesn't like stack up to that. And I think, you know, even in, in scenes where um, it was like outside at night, I think that that was probably because they were easier to animate and not have to like show the light on the creatures and stuff like that um I really think the scene where Scooby is dressed up as the grandma I think that looks pretty good you know it does (laughs) he looks like a like a grandma like a grandma dog so I think that scene was probably the best where I could definitely believe Scooby was uh in in the action I think um but I mean, like, even from watching it as a kid and to now, like, just the production design in general, you know, the the costumes that the employees wear, you know, those huge, like, uh, felt, you know, fabric um, heads and, you know, the little shrunken head that Mary Jane gets. Um, I always, like, loved that. You know, I've always loved those things. And just rewatching it now was, like, so great. Mm-hmm. And... So I recently uh, rewatched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and the scene at the end of Scooby-Doo when the cauldron thing tips over and all the protoplasm people are spinning around. I was like, this looks exactly like the uh, fantastic animation in Raiders of the Lost Ark when all the things come out of the Ark and everybody, that whole thing happens. Yeah, I guess at some point too, it's, it's a kid's movie in some ways. And one of my questions when it comes to this is the movie comes out in 2002. What generation is this movie aimed at? Like you said, the start mark, there's a lot of adult style jokes from just the theme to the story. And we'll talk about the story as a whole, but what generation do you think was the target audience for this? Was it that mid twenties uh, demographic that's shown in the film? Was it just children straight up? Uh, our generation was obviously very young when this came out. Was it just for us that we remember it in that way? But I'm really curious as to see the the numbers of people who watched it about where they were really aiming. Do you guys have thoughts on really who this movie was intended for? I mean, I definitely see how it how it started out, you know, intended to be for like maybe um, like older kids, teens, you know, young adults, etc., um but I think the watering down of it was definitely its downfall because it I guess appealed to a younger audience in that regard and it was able to be more family friendly but I think everything else like in terms of you know when it does try to appeal to like adults with the jokes and stuff it just doesn't go 
all the way. Like it, it doesn't, it's not as, um, like it's not in it, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's only going halfway and it's not going the, the full, what I mean. Yeah, it definitely, you know, it doesn't even toe the line. It's not coming up to the line in that sense for a kid's movie where kids aren't going to recognize the jokes that are meant, you know, like you said, the weed jokes, unless you're a kid who knows a lot, you're not going to understand those references, which I think definitely must have come from higher ups because there is that, you know, whole, whole theory online about how the film was supposed to be rated R and be this gritty Scooby-Doo. And I think it can work in both ways. Like if you're going to make a kid's movie, make a kid's movie, go full throttle. If you're going to make an adult gritty version, go ahead and do that. And like you're saying, it kind of wants to be both. It wants to put its foot in both camps. And in some ways there, it kind of just loses a bit of maybe the target audience on both sides because it leans to one side a bit. But then it's like, ah, maybe you could also, you know, if you're older, enjoy this part too. And maybe going in on one side would have actually helped it overall. Kaylee, thoughts? I can't remember which one of our guests said this already on the first, on one of the first two episodes, but I remember somebody saying that Scooby-Doo, I feel like it was Matt or Maggie when we were talking about Witch's Ghost. I could be wrong. Anyways, they were saying that, like, it's meant for children, but there are jokes in there for, like, parents or older people who might be watching it with their kids that it's enjoyable for everyone. And I think this movie is, like, straight down the middle from that. Like, it's obviously enjoyable for kids, but there's enough, like, other humor in there that I think really it was made so that any age could enjoy it. Mark, do you think the adult humor helped, like, added to your viewing? Do you think it helped make the movie more enjoyable? Or was it just, like, a little poking fun where it was like, oh, okay, a little tidbit? Do you think it at the end of the day was really inconsequential or did it really matter to your viewing that, oh, there are these jokes that I now understand on a different level? Well, yeah, I mean, I definitely uh, enjoyed, you know, being able to like laugh at, um, you know, when Shaggy's in the van, when Shaggy and Scooby are in the van and, you know, the smoke is coming out and you hear him say like, ah, uh, this is like primo, like talk about toasted. Like I, I laughed out loud at that. Um, just because I had never picked up on that. You know, I, I had always known, oh, Mary Jane, ha, ha, ha. Um, but like the little things I was definitely able to pick up on. I was definitely able to enhance my experience. But I think, you know, in general, I think the whole adult jokes, you know, like I said, I feel like they, they definitely hit. But I think um, even after watching, like especially after watching the uh, deleted scenes, um, you know, I think if they had not in my opinion like half-assed it it would have been it would have uh I guess made the fact that it was like you know self-aware and meant to sort of parody itself a little bit a little bit more like punchier and more uh you know blatant I guess um but I feel like you know re-watching it now I was able to sort of I almost thought you know the story would have benefited from that you know from those deleted scenes or from the the deleted themes I guess um but I, mean, I still definitely enjoyed it especially you know because it, it it's nostalgic so you always have a little bit of bias there no matter what um but yeah yeah and that's a perfect segue because I was going to ask about the story as a whole obviously written by James Gunn the story as a whole I really appreciate it and I said it last time uh uh, with Cyber Chase, that this movie going in, it assumes you know who Scooby-Doo and the gang is. It's not, okay, we're going to tell you how Scooby and Shaggy met, like the latest movie, Scoob. It's not, you know, aiming, it is aiming at a new demographic in a sense, but it's not overbearing you by saying, oh, we have to reintroduce all these characters. I like how it jumps in with the ghosts and they're in the middle of a mystery and we know who they are and they they all look really weird. The costume design is odd for them because it looks like them in real life. And I love the way that the story revolved around the Scooby gang being celebrities, which I think really helped 
shape the narrative of each character in a sense. And, you know, it brings it all together when they come back uh, to solve this mystery. But first impressions going into the movie because of this little cold open. And it seems like every Scooby movie we've been watching has a cold open animated or not. Do you think uh, based on IMDb, apparently the villain at the beginning of the cold open was supposed to be one of the main antagonists, but was written out. Do you think going into it that helps again? Or do you think it's a little bit of just like, a, oh, a cute cold open, but it, it obviously serves the so story, but does it serve your viewing or does it maybe make it a little bit of a weird cut from going to that to the main story then? I I love the beginning. Um, I I love the whole movie, obviously, but I would say that, you know, I I'd rather watch like a full movie of the intro than like the Spooky Island, um, just because you know I, I I the Luna Ghost design I think is so awesome. Um, you know, it's definitely like creepy back then, and obviously like. Honestly, it's still kind of wanting to get a tattoo of the Luna Ghost for a while. And so in my like Google searches of the uh, pictures for it, there's like all these like, you know, shadowy like photos of the costume that like nobody's in, but it's still like really eerie. And, you know, there's that shot where he holds up his like spindly fingers and like the matches in front of his mouth. Um, and, you know, it's like, it's just odd. And then Pamela Anderson comes in, Queen. And, it, you know, there's just so much that, like, adds up. And then um, <laughs> when Scooby says uh, Banzai, but he says Runzai when he's skating, top tier. Yeah, very odd Pamela Anderson. Uh, something else kids wouldn't get. Something that, you know, but if you're a kid, it's so short that it doesn't detract from that opening because when you're an adult, it's, you know, that funny moment that makes you after go, oh, you know, that was fine for a kid's movie. Again, the length is super short. So going from, the movie feels like it's really chopped into segments with this cold open, then going to the breakup, then going to the where are they now kind of sense. And then obviously just going into that eventually huge, long, longer sense third act like a superhero movie does now. But Kaylee, what were your thoughts on that? opening would you enjoy uh as mark said a full-length movie based around the luna ghost and that whole maybe the the prequel what happened to them before this movie absolutely i wouldn't i would love a whole movie about that but i also think it's just a really interesting choice because like ben like you said they don't reintroduce these characters they break them up and split them apart for two years in the opening of the movie, which is a really interesting plot choice, and it makes the movie a lot more interesting because you, like, watch them slowly come back together for the whole movie, but, um, I just thought, I, that opening scene is hilarious now, even though I was terrified of it as a child for some reason, but now watching it, it was amazing. I loved it. Yeah, I love a good twist, as I said before, and I think what this movie did really well is, you know when they break up, they're going to come back together. You know they're going to save the day. These aren't the twist questions, you know, that sometimes now we watch superhero movies, we watch Marvel movies, and now there's, for a while, it was, you know, obvious, okay, they're going to win in the end. But now it's a little, oh, who's going to win here? You know, studios are trying and writers are trying to kind of subvert your expectations. And I like that this, this wasn't the twist in the movie, that they they made it kind of known, like, we know where this is going, let's get there. Let's not make you suffer through 15 minutes of, well, maybe I don't want to be a part of this and here are the little clues. It's, it's bang, bang. I don't want to be a part of the group anymore. Bye. Goodbye. Two years later, bang. Here's how they get back together. Bang. Here's why they don't like each other. Bang. And I appreciated that, that then when it comes to the real twist, it's more fulfilling. Mark, from a writing standpoint, as a writer yourself, what do you think uh, – are the challenges in that for especially a movie that has to hit both demographics when you're writing for maybe children and also adults, what do you think is kind of the leaning point in order to get both audiences from a story building perspective? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the way that it was written sort of, I could see it benefiting more so the like old school viewers of it rather than like kids. Um, who are maybe like coming into it for the first time just because, um, you know, I think obviously, 
you know, you, ha- you have to go into it knowing them regardless. Uh, but then with the breakup, like, right away, it makes things so, it, it definitely subverts expectations in a way, um, just because I guess you don't, it, it, like, we're, we're not used to that in, in terms of Scooby-Doo, you know, in terms of, like, Mystery Inc. Um, and I really think that that, like, event really uh, benefits you know, the, the sort of adult jokes, the, uh, I guess, like, things that older viewers would more enjoy, just because, you know, I think that that break that they had was a really good way for them to, um, you know, work, like, develop themselves slash their stereotypes, you know, because when we first, like, meet them all back again, we definitely see, you know, Shaggy and Scooby, are like stoners. Freddie is like just a himbo, completely self-absorbed. Um, you know, Velma, one of her first things that she says is, I'm on, I'm on a journey of self-discovery. And like, I picked up on that for the first time watching this. And I was like, oh, Velma's a lesbian. Like, and I've heard, I've definitely heard, I think James Gunn said that one time that she's supposed to be coded as a lesbian. Um, and definitely re-watching this and then also watching the deleted scenes. I think they kind of I think the deleting of certain scenes kind of uh, hindered the coding of Velma as a lesbian. Like, I think if we had seen those, it would have uh, really driven the point home a little bit more. But, you know, there was definitely a certain thing. And then every time she would talk to um, credit named Velma's friend, which I found out for the first time uh, watching it back again, um, every time she would talk to him and he would, like, get close to her, she would just, like, giggle and punch his arm. <laughs> so she was just definitely uh, a, a character. And I think that, you know, you you see these things, uh, there, there's, there's little hints of it, I guess, in, like, the older series. But to see it all sort of come together in this movie, um, I think was, like, a really good, they did a really good job of that. Yeah, and the coding goes both ways with that. It does feel a little forced with Zelma and her friend that is clearly coming onto her. And there's this, there's not even a will they, won't they. It just feels very forced. Like Velma needs a boyfriend now. That's what it feels like in the movie. But I think some of the reason also the story works is because of the acting. I think, you know, you have Freddie Prince Jr., Sarah Michelle Gellar, Matthew Lillard, Linda Cardellini, Rowan Atkinson, Isla Fisher, who is Mary Jane. There's a lot of top-notch people who our generation knows from even a lot of other things. Matthew Lillard obviously has taken over basically as Shaggy the character in everything now, which is... Justice for Matthew Lillard after Scoob, after the atrocity that was Scoob. Justice for Matthew Lillard. Also, shout out Without a Paddle. I agree, and... That movie is fantastic. (laughs) I love that movie so much. It's so good. Yes. The, the cast is one of the reasons why I think it works really well because they play up each of their characters' stereotype to the max as it's clearly written. Again, with Velma being the smart person who doesn't get credit, who maybe, as Kaylee and I have talked about in both, ep- both of episodes of the podcast now, when it reaches this boiling point of, okay, we know what everyone's one stereotype is, majority of Daphne's character in this movie is how do I not be that damsel in distress? I took this self-defense class. I'm going to fight this strong guy. I'm going to walk in this random man who's uh, sacrificing a dead chicken. That still doesn't make sense to me, that part. But I have so many questions about both of those things, the voodoo man and the wrestler. I have too many questions. They're kind of just there, which is you know, odd as it is. I mean, (laughs) I was watching it in the living room. And so my younger brother was watching it with me. And the voodoo man, when he first appeared, my brother said, he's the equivalent of Tebow from iCarly in this movie. The guy with the, I'm not, I'm not going to say the word that I can't pronounce with my Minnesota accent, but the B-A-G-E-L's on a stick. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Minnesota accent. Yeah, I think they're the throwaway characters, even I would maybe classify Rowan Atkinson's character as a throwaway character in a sense, because spoiler alert, as we come to see, he is Scrappy-Doo. And it plays it up so well that you know, I mean, 
watching this movie, you know the man's the villain. You're like, this man is clearly up to some shady shit. Where We know where it's going to come about. And I think a lot of movies that have this clear A to B point and the catalyst is there and there's a MacGuffin, whatever, we, we know where we're going to go. And I, I like the journey that it brought us on within that, that it wasn't so much stuck on, oh, who's it going to be? Who's it? Oh, could it be this person? Could it be that person? I think it more so, like you were saying, Mark, self-aware in the sense that they're more so competing with each other and less of who do you think it's actually going to be? Does anyone have, you know, could they have casted any better? I don't think so. Uh, is there someone in particular, in particular that you guys really liked as a casting choice in this movie? I mean, Matthew Lillard, obviously, like, because of his, his, like, incredible portrayal, was able to continue to be shaggy afterward. Like, he has the voice, he has the mannerisms, um, you know, watching the scene where uh, Scooby, uh, you know, realizes that Mary Jane is, like, one of the monsters, um, which, by the way, also picked up on uh, the point where she actually gets possessed, because she like goes off alone uh, during the Sugar Ray scene, which I want to live in. I want to live in that scene. Um, but uh, when they're having that fight, Shaggy, the way that like Matthew Lillard is just kind of like flailing himself around, probably in front of like a tennis ball that has like googly eyes on it. And he's like perfectly like fighting this like great Dane that's talking about how his mama eats cat poop. It's just, it's great. Kaylee, anyone stick out to you aside? Maybe also, if you want to talk about Matthew Lillard too, obviously our love of Mr. Lillard. Please, Mr. Lillard, come on to the podcast. Mr. Lillard, if you're listening, please respond to my DM on Twitter. (laughs) That was incredible. (laughs) But Um, anyone else really strike you that you say, this person is this character? I think, well, I just love Linda Cardellini and everything she does, so her playing Velma. I, I love, I love both these live action movies. I love Linda Cardellini. I think she plays Velma in a really funny, interesting way that like in the animated versions, it's a different kind of humor than Velma has ever been portrayed as having before, I think. And I, I just really love the way she does Velma. Yeah. I think the chemistry obviously also between Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Geller is obviously top-notch and like you were saying mark fred is a himbo if you don't know what that means you can google it and fred i think as a character in this movie also is really played up to be you know a jerk uh self-obsessed and even when he's you know a monster he is the yo 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 guys look i'm the main frat guy you know and he's the still the head of the people he's with even then and i think that dynamic between him and Daphne and also him and Velma is kind of a bit of the glue also to the cast. And it's kind of similar in the cartoons too. But in the past two movies we watched, she hasn't been really present. But I think in this movie too, each person kind of has their own scene. And even, you know, the, the cute scene at the end with him saying, I think the Velmster should take this over one. Why would you call someone the Velmster on live TV? I don't know. But it really, I think, helped every single person shine through because each person has their own scene throughout. Also talking about the Sugar Ray scene, uh, Mark McGrath, who I know oh. now from Celebrity Big Brother fame. Mark, what are your thoughts on- Iconic scene. Iconic yeah, scene. Very, it's like literally, how long is he in the movie? 30 seconds, maybe? Well, and the fact that, the fact that Sugar Ray is also uh, the few like monsters that are like banging on the barn that has the ATVs in them, like they, have, they had a part, they acted, they did well. It's just, uh, I think it hammers home too what we were talking about before with who's, who is this movie aimed at. I think a lot of people watching it now would have no idea who Sugar Ray is and would listen to the music. And, and I was hearing the music in the movie and thinking, damn, this is really good. Like, this is the exact music I am enjoying for this. The soundtrack, <sighs> incredible. It's insane how well the music fits. And it's kind of that, you know, early to mid 2000s sound that we would be like this is this is punk rock this is it's not but you know it 
helps establish that nostalgia that I think we all have. Do you think there's a reason that the that this specific genre of music fits really well with a Scooby-Doo movie? I know it's tough because there's not there's not one answer out there and a lot of it is nostalgia based. Well, right. I mean, I think like even you know, it, yeah, definitely the nostalgia, you know, the thoughts of it, like I guess the 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 tone really like fits with it just because the uh, I guess like melody and like the the kind of like breathy like raspy gritty voice really fits with like the sort of edgier take on Scooby-Doo um and I mean like not just like that song um but also you know like Shaggy's cover of the Scooby-Doo theme song is like so great and I mean like all the music really adds to the 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 experience I mean my favorite song in the movie I think is I don't remember what it's called but it's played when they're um they're like taking off all of their costumes after we're sort of back together again and it's like it's like a light moment and it like it's kind of hopeful um I really yeah I think the soundtrack for this movie is I don't know why I cannot put into words why it works so well it just it just does like it just perfectly fits 2002 and it perfectly fits scooby-doo i can't explain why but it just does gotta look up a youtube video me watching scooby-doo in 2002 um with my you know whatever i think you know the vibe of it all i think is what i'm getting at that there's a very clear vibe and sense of tone like you were saying mark that they know they clearly know what they want the tone of the film to be and every little piece matches it even with you know, majority of the movie all taking place in one location, I'll call it being Spooky Island. There's this sense of the the movie watching it from today's standpoint is obviously it's a big budget movie, but there's also this sense of that, oh, it, it feels kind of uh, not super professional, like, you know, 4K, Ultra HD. It's not like, obviously it's 2002 and that wasn't there, but it it has this kind of quality watching it I think of also the shots and a lot of Dutch angles and a lot of uh, quick cuts to reactions that I think lend it really well to the fast-paced nature in which we watch things today and that is only helped by you know it's what an hour and a half long something like that so it definitely helps that when it gets to that longer third act you're familiar with all the shot portfolio that the movie deals with and it can just kind of leap into that but I wanted to go to a bit to our thoughts on the story as a whole just talking about the plot too something I know from a lot of people a lot of my friends they hate Scrappy-Doo they don't know why I'm not a Scrappy-Doo lover in my own right but this is the movie that really starts with the hatred of Scrappy-Doo my question why why the Scrappy-Doo hatred is there is it just he's easy to pick on is there a reason that we're all hating on him? He's so annoying. In everything he's ever been in, he's so annoying. Even, like, my mom the other night was like, oh, how's the podcast going? And I was like, oh, it's fine. And she's like, you don't talk about Scrappy-Doo, do you? I hate him. Like, just out of nowhere. Just all Scrappy-Doo hate. And I agree. He's just annoying. <laughs> he's, just a little, he's just a little punk. I, like, I, <sighs> Scrappy-Doo is annoying as hell. Like, he's very irritating. But, like, I kind of love that for him. Like, I kind of, like, that's, like, my favorite quality about him. Um, especially... <laughs> the scene where um, they, like, do the flashback. Like, the flashback is so jarring. Like, re-watching it, like, it feels so out of place. But when, <laughs> when they're like, oh, yeah, you know, we used to be, like, a happy little family and uh, we had another dog... <laughs> His name was Scrappy, and Scrappy's just like, y'all need to listen to me. I'm going to be the leader, uh, even though I, like, am two inches tall because of the gland disorder. 
and the puppy power when he just starts peeing on Daphne. Like, I don't know. That was, it was one of the best scenes of the movie. Like, it's so, um, and like, uh, I, I think he says something about being cuter than like a Powerpuff girl or something. It's so good. Um, but Scrappy-Doo also like seeing him be defeated in the end, it, it's definitely rewarding. You know, it's, it's satisfying. Um, apparently Tim Curry was like approached to play Mondavarius, but because he hates Scrappy-Doo so much, he said no. I lit- okay, when I was just re-watching it with my brother, I did not know that. And unprompted, my brother said, you know who should have played that guy instead? Uh, Al Pacino. And I said, no, it should have been Tim Curry. Oh my god. Very odd. The flashback is, it's like a fever dream in some sense. Because the movie sets up that there's celebrities and that here's the world we're living in. That when it flashes back to, you know, who they were, I guess, before they were celebrities. When they're just a little happy family in their nice van. It's very odd. It's like two shots uh, from outside of the van, and it's it's not confusing, but it's just, okay, I guess we're doing this now. And I have to agree, Scrappy-Doo is annoying, but I think Scrappy-Doo is annoying because of how this movie presents him. He's not a puppy either. We said the gland disorder. So that's that's a little contradictory here, but... The, so funny. <laughs> the defeat of Scrappy-Doo, the, you know, the huge third act, he, you know, grows super tall and strong, and then Scooby, what, flicks his nose and says, no, Scrappy, sit. That was my, I started laughing out loud really hard when he was no, Scrappy, bad dog. Uh, Scrappy. <laughs> and I could honestly listen to that line for like an hour, just on repeat, just because it, the delivery made me laugh way too hard. But Scrappy-Doo also has no reason to want to take over the world. There's no, it's just because people made fun of him because he's small. They literally kicked him out of the van and left him on the side of the road for, for in the middle of the desert too. They show him in the middle of a desert. What happened to him between then? I don't know. No supplies. He, he probably, he could have died of dehydration considering how small his body is. But hey, they said bye. And at the end of the movie, Shaggy says something like, no need to be a jerk and try to kill all of humanity. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the way that Scrappy fell, it looked like he snapped his neck. So, yes. like, it definitely was painful. Is he only doing this whole plot to get back at them for kicking him out of the van? I really, I didn't need a reason for him, for me to not like Scrappy-Doo. I would have saw him the way he's uh, animated in the movie and been like, okay, I know I'm not supposed to like him. But, what is there... Can we come up with a reason other than just him, uh, you know, being vengeful and wanting to get back at them and take over the entire world, I guess, is a, is a great plot at any point for someone to try to do? Is there, is there another reason? I, I have no idea. All I know is his whiny little voice and just everything about him annoys me so much in every single thing that he's ever in. <laughs> I can't stand him. Well, while rewatching it now, some of like the way that the the creatures were designed and like Scooby especially looked, um, they kind of like reminded me of each other, like almost like two sides of the same coin. Like maybe Scooby had like descended from the creatures, and like it would have been so cool to maybe think about that because like I mean there are definitely questions I have. I think I think everybody would have them. Uh, watching this movie like where did the creatures come from what are the creatures how did Scrappy find out about the creatures like existence uh how did he find the Damon Ritus when exactly did he uh like start impersonating Mondavarius because apparently like clearly the uh the bald guy and like the wrestler had no idea Scrappy was uh Mondavarius but then also like who is this uh wrestler guy like clearly Scrappy sought out the bald guy but who the hell is this wrestler guy what is his role besides being like just beef and like what what was the voodoo guy like the voodoo guy was lived on this island did he work there did he was it like his house did they just like have an agreement with him because he there was also there was a scene like a deleted scene where um he was in it 
and you're like, oh, maybe we're gonna get to see some of uh, some of his like deleted backstory. It just shows him um, buying that head, like the head that he's like, this is gonna, or like that little body. He's like, this is gonna protect me. He was just buying it, like, oh, great, you know that that's really uh, helpful in in understanding his character. Yeah, the problem is that once we open this Pandora's box, there's no going back. There's so many because of the time length and because like I've been saying uh, that they're trying to put, you know, get into two demographics here. We're never going to have, there's no clue as to any of these answers. The questions that are all valid that I would ask the same thing that didn't even pop into my mind because I was like, Oh my God, look at all of them. But that when you think about it, just makes you force yourself to be like, okay, now I have to rewrite the whole movie to my liking. Yeah. Speaking of questions we will never have answers to, this brings us to a question we've talked about on both episodes so far. Does Scooby-Doo know he's a dog or not? And if not, what does he think he is? (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, because here's, in the animated movies, they can do something that they can't do here, which is they can have... Scooby have a little moment to himself. They can have a little throwaway. This movie cannot afford little throwaways. It needs every scene to be emotional between Shaggy and Scooby. So he dresses up as an old woman. And this is going to be my, once again, my theory to say that Scooby is aware of his surroundings, of that their old women are not dogs and dogs are not old women. And he, you know, barks, uh, the cat hisses at him and he's getting all upset. And, you know, someone is allergic to him. Humans are not allergic to other humans. And, they, and he knows this and he switches seats. So I think, I'm just saying, I just think, as I think Maggie said in the first episode, that he is just very privileged. And he is fully aware that he is completely canine and that there's, he's just a celebrity. Again, at the start, he's a celebrity. I could talk about this for hours. But Mark, before we get to Kaylee, thoughts on this topic? Does Scooby-Doo in this movie alone, is he aware that he is a dog? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak on other movies, but I know that in this movie, for sure, he is aware. I mean, the way that he, like, the way that he talks to Scrappy, especially because, I mean, was it was it ever mentioned in this movie that Scooby and Scrappy are related? Because, obviously, Scooby and Scrappy are, like, cousins, I think? Or, no, Scrappy's his nephew in, like, the the animated. So, I guess, like, watching this anytime, time I've always I guess assumed that they're related in some way so the way that he like talks to Scrappy you know he's I don't I don't remember if he ever says like bad dog or bad puppy but he always says you know like bad Scrappy sit like uh you know the way that you would talk to a dog and like um you know he, he was sitting right next to Freddie when uh he's talking to Velma and he's like well the way that you get a dog to stop barking is like you flick it in the nose and so he had to have like heard that and he wouldn't, he didn't, like, show, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, they're probably not talking about me. Um, so I definitely think that there's, that they, uh, that he knows, and it's just, like, he's definitely, he definitely has, like, privilege, because obviously not all animals in this universe can talk, so the ones that do probably, like, you know, they, they have some, some, some heightened sense of sentience, I guess, of, of consciousness. Um, and again, like I said, you know, I think that there's some, some deleted scenes that would have benefited from staying in the movie. There's one where when Scooby is captured, he tries to uh, get out of being trapped by faking a heart attack. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I, like, I'm rying, <laughs> I'm rying. And, uh, uh, <laughs> the guy's like, it just didn't work the last eight times you did it. Why did you think that, um, like, it would happen now or whatever? And, or like, that it would work now? And Scooby's like, I'm really red this time. <laughs> and um, the guy's like, but you're talking. And Scooby just goes, stupid. <laughs> like, he definitely knows, you know, he's, he's, he's capable of, um, I guess, like, heightened thought of complex thought and I think for that reason he would be capable of realizing he's a dog. Okay, I will admit in this movie alone I think Scooby is aware that he's a dog. In other Scooby movies as we have discussed he is not aware. In this specific one he is. I will admit to that. 
Also, it is confirmed in this, Mary Jane says she's eating Scooby snacks on the plane. She says they're for dogs, but I love them. Weird thing to be eating. You, th you would think if you're on a plane, eat, no matter, okay, the plane's weird in the first place. It's an odd plane. If I ever it's go on like a plane a party like that, plane. oh my God, ne nobody should ever be on a plane like that. But if you're on a plane, why would you pull out dog food and start eating it? Even if it's treats that look like cookies, why would you, and then look at someone and go, I know it's dog treats, but I just like it. Imagine if someone- She's not like other girls. She's quirky. Oh my. <laughs> it's the equivalent of like not only pulling your shoes and socks off and putting them on like someone's armrest, but just like pulling your pants down and just be like, no, 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 no. I know it's weird, but trust me, I'm okay. She's built different, Ben. <laughs> Let her be. Also- What an odd character trait to add in. Just this movie is just so funny that the scene on the plane where Fred flicks Scooby in the nose and then Scooby just turns and punches Fred in the face for no reason made me laugh so hard. So hard. It was so good. That scene, honestly, like, I, I feel like the, the, the beginning half of the movie was where it was like funniest and then like the latter half of the movie was where it was like most heartfelt, I guess. Um, mm. And obviously I think that was like intentional. But yeah, that scene, great. Honestly, I, I, you know, like she, she was like paid by Scrappy to like be on this plane because like her name's Mary Jane, which is Shaggy's favorite name ever. You know, um, she like is eating his favorite snack, which nobody, no other human eats that Shaggy like literally says um you know she's always like there, like sort of helping but then when it comes time to like get uh get like clues obviously like she splits up separately and she's like the only person that we don't really see uh like get captured I guess you know because there's even coming back to the deleted scenes there's a deleted scene where Daphne gets like her soul sucked out of her and the monster inhabits her body which is it's kind of freaky um so I guess I get why they deleted it but you know I feel Mary she's kind of vague and like there for like the right or fair there uh for seemingly like the right reasons you know like it was too good to be true I guess and like even after um she was kind of like she just said like thanks for saving me and then like nothing so i feel like she just kind of like ran before she got arrested this opens up a whole nother pandora box for me because they're on this island they there are many moments where like fred's a monster and velma's a monster i think at one point and they can easily like shaggy and scooby can easily be captured like so easily that you know there's like that pregnant pause of like and then they start running uh, at each other, that I have to wonder what the intelligence of our, is the Scooby Mystery Inc. just built different as Stealing Kaylee's word? Because they're not, they don't seem like Velma smarter than everyone else, but not everyone is phys more physically fit, not more intelligent, not more intuitive, uh, not even, doesn't even have better street smarts, I would say. Uh, just Velma is the only one who I'm like that. She has like some power. She like knows what's up. In this movie, there's nothing to demonstrate that they're like basically on the level of Sherlock Holmes, like problem solving. That it's just like there's some kids and they just happen to solve the day. And is that the point at the end that they just happen to solve it at the end, no matter what, because they're together and it's all about being a team. I mean, I would dare to say that there's nothing in the movie that shows that the monsters are, like, that strong um, or nor smart. I mean, the only times that they really get the upper hand is when they use, like, their breath to knock people out. But otherwise, like, you know, when they're trying to, like, get into the barn, they are having, like, a really hard time, like, breaking things. And, um, you know, Shaggy's very easily, like, able to get Fred's hand off of his neck. Um there, there's another really funny scene where, you know, Scooby uh, is trying to run away from the monster and he, like, pretends to be, like, a nail technician and, like, buffs the nails and then just, like, chews them all off. And clearly, like, the monster fell for it. 
So I think there's like a case to be said that the monsters probably aren't that smart. Um, you know, and they uh, probably are like, I mean, I, I guess I guess it's definitely different um, when they're in humans, but you know, there's when they're being chased, uh, it, it was Scooby, Shaggy, Daphne, and Mary Jane um, through the hotel and they jumped through that window. You know, they're able to bounce off, I guess, because of like their weight, but obviously the monsters are like much heavier and distributed differently. So I think that if they were smarter or like, I don't, I, able to uh, uh, think complex like thoughts that they would have maybe had the foresight, oh, let's, let's not jump out of this like four story window. But at the same time, they're clearly smart enough to like quickly pick up on uh, English and like translate that from their monster language. So I have no idea. But then also like, it's like the training video. The training video, when was that made? You know, was it made like years before or was it made for this? But like the people who made it were just so out of touch. Uh, th that whole like, that whole idea of like monster, like this cult of like, people who worship this pyramid that allows the summoning of monsters and to suck people's souls out like we need we need an hbo limited series of uh scooby-doo played by this cast going through the origins of this cult and like showing how like we, we we need Matthew Lillard, we need Linda Cardellini, we need Sarah Michelle Gellar. Like these characters, these actors could not be played better. Yeah, the cult, when I first, I remember watching this originally and not thinking it was a cult. And then, you know, it's it's an island that's supposed to attract mid-20s pe mid people who uh, you know, are probably more open to different ideas and are just generally probably drinking more alcohol and are just probably more open to anything that's going to happen. Uh, the whole island's a cult, I think, in some aspects. It's a, it's a tourist trap to the ultimate uh, display. But as we kind of get to the end here, a question I wanted to pose that we forgot to do last time that, Kaylee, you can start on question we're gonna ask every time is this a good date movie and i'll just start by saying i think it's a the only reason i think it's a better date movie than the animated movies is because it's live action therefore maybe not as embarrassing if you don't know if your partner would be interested and you know you stumble upon it on hbo max oh remember this maybe we'll get a good laugh i think it's easy to jump in and out of too but it really gripped me for some reason not even on like a scooby level on just like a movie level i was like oh i want to like watch the rest of this but kaylee is this a good date movie yes which will be my answer every time you ask this but yes uh first it's really short it's like an hour and 26 minutes or something like easy breezy perfect date <laughs> movie you, you you start watching it it's it's entertaining if you actually are engaged in watching the movie and it's also just good for being on in the background. You don't have to fully be paying attention to enjoy this movie. So I think this is a 10 out of 10 date movie. Mark? Um, sorry if I uh, repeat anything that Kaylee just said because she cut out completely for me. But um, I would like to agree. Uh, you know, I think that this movie has like, a little bit of everything, you know, because it has like the action, it has like the comedy, the sort of spookiness, um, and like there's romance, there's like friendship, there's family. Um, you know, I really think, yeah, it definitely, it's, it's gripping, like it's entertaining. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily because of maybe, you know, maybe just because I have good memories from it and like I still enjoy watching it because of the nostalgia or just because it is like uh, an entertaining movie. Um, I would definitely say the latter, but I also would say, I also, you know, have to say that the former uh, sort of gives it that edge, you know, it definitely amps it up. The nostalgia factor definitely makes me, I, I think, you know, I, I go in for the nostalgia, but I stay for 
the movie itself, you know? Yeah, definitely. And before we rank it, perfect segue to giving it a nostalgia ranking out of 10 and a current ranking out of 10. Is there anything else you two wanted to bring up moments that struck you or anything that you thought, Oh, well that was weird or interesting or brought up some questions, you know, last time we got very existential, but is there anything that you guys watching this or if not Kaylee hop into your nostalgia ranking and your uh, current day ranking? Well, I was just going to say, um, you know, I, I watched the movie The Thing for the first time this year. So obviously I couldn't have picked up on it until this watch. Um, but the scene, you know, this, the, uh, the sequence where they're in the castle and they're all, all split up and Shaggy and Scooby are in that feast room really reminded me of The Thing. And like, especially, you know, the scene where um, the, I don't remember if it was the doctor or whoever was laying on the table and the thing like bursts out of his chest and like, you know, it's all like gross and everything, but like the way that the mouths were designed of, you know, the food and the, the tentacle like sausages, it, it was so weird like to, to watch that and be like, huh, I wonder like if that had any, I guess, bearing on the way that they designed this uh, set. So it was really cool. Yeah, definitely a very meticulous, that scene, especially with the food and resembling a roller coaster, that whole castle, that it had to be created like a roller coaster, that each piece is kind of like a Disney ride in some sense. So I'm sure there was definitely some inspiration taken from other creepy, similar things. Again, going back to the adult humor. Now, hopping into our overall rankings, Kaylee, what would you give it on out of 10 Scooby Snacks, nostalgia and current watching? Um, I think for my nostalgia rating, since, as I mentioned before, I only watched this one like a couple times. I don't know why I preferred the second one over this one so much. So my nostalgia rating is probably like a 7 out of 10. Because I remember like enjoying it, but I just didn't watch it that much. 7 out of 10 Scooby Snacks for nostalgia. Uh, my current ranking, I'm going to bump it up to an 8. I thought it was very funny. I enjoyed it very much. Um... Yeah, I just, it was entertaining. I don't want to go any higher than that because I'm reserving that for specific Scooby-Doo movies, but I'll give it, I'll give it an eight out of 10 Scooby snacks. We can end it on you, Mark. I'll give mine right now. Uh, I didn't watch, even though it came out in 2002 and I was a huge Scooby fan as a child, I was engrossed in the animated movies, the direct-to-DVD, the What's New Scooby-Doo series, a pup named Scooby-Doo, and this movie didn't really fully hit my radar. And so for that, my nostalgia rating is like a five out of 10, I'd say, where I, I was very neutral on it. I was like, eh, I'm not gonna go for it. But I really enjoyed it this watch. I think I'm gonna give it a very, very solid nine out of 10 because I could see myself watching this again. I could see myself going back to it and picking up on things I didn't pick up on and having a different experience viewing it. And I think that's the hallmark of a great movie, especially a great Scooby movie. I think if we rewatch either the first two that we saw, there's not much else I would pick up on. Whereas with this, I feel like there's a hundred little different things that I would uh, find and see. Mark, your uh, two rankings. Um, I mean, like I said uh, earlier, you know, both the live action movies have good like memories associated with them um you know one of my birthdays was during like the really big snowstorm on the east coast so like the power was out for i think like two three weeks at minimum um it was around like 2008 maybe and so me and my mom went out into our car that had like a dvd player on the ceiling like on the yeah on the ceiling and we watched both the movies and uh like that was just a really good experience so I would definitely have to say, like, nostalgia. Um, I mean, because I've watched it so many times, and I could keep watching it. Definitely 10 out of 10. has to be 10 out of 10. Um, current rating, I guess I would give it, like, an 8. Um, you know, it's still really good. And, like, it, the, the jokes hit. You know, it's definitely still, like, really funny. But there are definitely, definitely things that I think maybe they should have fleshed out more you know I wish that the studio wasn't so 
overbearing in how they had to like water down everything um because i think that that was kind of its downfall um but i mean yeah i definitely watched it again you know time and time again um and i mean yeah w- what else is there to say about the incredible uh live action for scooby-doo yeah thanks so much and thank you again so much for being on uh, we're actually recording three podcasts this week. We have a lot going on. You're the first in a in a set. And yeah, can't thank you enough for coming on, being the only guest on this episode, pulling out, saying uh, you cut out a bit here and there, but everything you said, I mean, well-spoken and, you know, clearly the live action Scooby-Doo has made an impact, a different impact, I think, than any animated Scooby-Doo could. Uh, is there anything, I think I'm going to ask everyone this, is there anything you want to plug, any social media? Um, I mean, my TikTok is uh, at fatboo-boo, F-A-T-B-O-O-B-O-O. Um, my Twitter is at LMAO Mark. Uh, and yeah, uh, hey, who knows? I might start a podcast soon. So stay on the lookout. Ooh. Right. Ooh. Very exciting. Well, everyone tune in when that happens. Mm-hmm. Haley, you want to hit us with the outro? Absolutely. Rutro, looks like we're all out of time. We'll see you next time on a pod named Scooby Doo.